believe Marshall's the one that is preaching this morning. Give him a warning that uh, I may go a little long this morning, but I think he can sympathize with me. So let's uh, begin as, as I'll pray for us and keep going as we're diligent with our time. So, Father God, you, you alone are good. Your word is a light to our feet. And let it be a sweetness to us here this morning. Let us delight in your law today as we seek to know you. We seek to know your gospel and your word. Let us seek to find, let us seek and, and find transformed lives that, uh, that please you. We praise you for the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son, Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, as we uh, dig in this morning, dig in today, I, I want to just say how thankful I am for you all and to be here with you all this morning once again. And, and as we approach the most wonderful time of the year and the world of America celebrates Christmas and reflects just a little bit on the birth of Christ, I stand here amongst the people who study the person and work of Christ and reflect on that uh, all year round. And I am blessed to be a part of you. And how blessed are we to boast in the person and and work of Christ. Well, in this uh, Sunday school hour, during this season, we will continue in a section where uh, that focuses more on the life of Christ and his resurrection and, and the death between. And uh, it certainly this week has been a joy for me to go through and the text and study and, and glean from it this week. And in this section, Paul begins to build. You can go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 3. In this section, Paul begins to build once more. Uh, I want to add to Pastor Kevin and Isaiah a few weeks ago. They said that, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 11, was the peak, the pinnacle, probably of all the uh, New Testament, going through Christ and, and breaking down who Christ is, the, the God-man. And, and they were saying that that, that, that was the peak, and, and I agree with them, but, but I think uh, we're in a mountain range, and I don't think that they would disagree, but uh, I would say that we're in a mountain range, and Paul is headed towards another peak in uh, verses 1 through 11 in this section. And the peak is in chapter 9, or sorry, in verse 9. Paul's building here. He begins to build uh, in verse 1 and goes towards another peak in this section in chapter 3. So turn to Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11 if you're not there. We'll only get to verse 3 today. But hopefully, well, hopefully we do. And uh, I want to read this section here in just a moment. Um, But it will be back to the basics this week again. I want to copy Isaiah and his format from a few weeks ago. uh, As I didn't break down into sections, but I just want to go verse by verse and and break it down in words and phrases as we go along. uh, Hopefully with much clarity for us. So... Verses 1 through 11, Paul begins, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, 
and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation or the false circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So this little phrase back in verse 1, today again we'll be in uh, 1 through 3. This little phrase that that Paul uses to set up the section in verse 1, he says, finally, my brothers. I think this is a proof text of Paul's being a preacher telling people that he's about to wrap it up in which it's, it's meaningless in regard to time. Right? Preachers, huh? No, I'm appreciative of them. But uh, no, some disagree. They say that this is translated as more, also translated as moreover, furthermore, so then, as to create a change of thought, possibly. Others argue that Paul really is trying to wrap it up and then he gets sidetracked with a, a tangent. Either way, when we see this statement from Paul, it's, it's one of his hallmarks. We can skip through the books, skip through his books, and, and find these main ideas that he has, summing, summing up either a, a big chunk or possibly the whole book in his writings. And generally, it is what to follow. Such as in 2 Corinthians 13.11, says, Finally, brothers, rejoice be restored, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. First Thessalonians, there are other examples, but First uh, Thessalonians 4.1, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how, as to how to, you ought to walk and please God, that you excel still more. So we must ask, we must be good students, we must ask of the text for our understanding, well, what is it, Paul? Well, it's a command, finally, brothers, it's, it's a command that follows. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We are commanded here to rejoice or have joy, gladness, to rejoice exceedingly. This command is predicated with a relationship, on a relationship with Christ. It has to be because otherwise Paul could not command us to be joyful. As unbelievers, they have nothing to be joyful about or look forward to. 
We know that it's predicated on these things, a relationship with Christ, because Paul addresses believers. He says, my brothers and in the Lord. And it's joy, not happiness. Happiness is related to happenstance, primarily revolving around circumstances or surroundings. Joy is found and it's predicated solely on our foundation of faith, namely Christ. Unbelievers can only experience happiness, never joy, because they have no foundation. But just as an unbeliever only has their circumstances to look to, we also only have Christ to look to. But you know as well as I do, joy and happiness they are, in the good times, hard to tell apart. They look very similar, but when the cancer comes, when the job is gone and and the money runs out, when you have to bury those that are closest to you, these are obviously extreme cases. However, those along with everyday downfalls or, or disappointments, then it is joy that shows through. As an unbeliever here in these circumstances, happiness is gone, as they have no hope. But a believer, but as a believer, we have everything to look forward to because nothing has changed about our foundation. Nothing has changed. Christ is still king. Christ is still sovereign, so rejoice, brothers. Paul is, again, as a reminder, writing this from jail, telling us to rejoice as, as he is as his example. So then how? That's a fair question. Again, we're, we're to ask questions of the text. How, as real students, how are we to be joyful? Well, thankfully, scriptures, they never just leave us with a question, but, they also provide, but it also provides answers that we need, that we need to know. Or in other words, God never gives us a command without a step-by-step direction on how to a guide to execute what he has required of us. Back to the text, look at verse 1 again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. I want you to do me a favor. Well, let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's beneficial for you as well. But for a moment, think in your past. Think on a time that you were able to rejoice exceedingly or that you were most joyful, maybe a time or two if you can't decide. But I want to kind of break down what may be surrounding those, that time. Maybe it might have had something to do with you and your obedience, potentially. And that obedience, am I on to something? That obedience, I'm going to take a wild swing, also may have had time, or a, sorry, a strong correlation to your time in the Word as well. Not just reading words in a book, but that rich time of study I'm sure we've all experienced before. Am I close? It's a benefit to Paul to write these things over and over, so he also is reminded of God's truths. He has told us all about joy already, how to rejoice already. But it's a safeguard for them and, and for us to saturate our minds with repetition in the Word. We know that here at PBC. 
So let's do the opposite quickly. Think on a time, just for a moment, that you were not able to rejoice or, or that you have fallen in sin or you weren't walking closely. I'm assuming you either weren't in the Word or you were treating it as a mundane exercise simply to, to check the box. I've been there plenty of times myself. I know uh, I'm not special or unique, as the Army tells me all the time. Uh, it's, we know that it is much easier to rejoice in the Lord when we have a saturated mind with the lovely law of God and His promises. It tells us Psalm 89, verse 16, In your name they rejoice all the day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. Psalm 97, 1, Yahweh reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 118, 24, This is the day which Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 119, verses 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds much spoil. I'm sure you too also can think of many other examples in the Scripture and, and how to rejoice or reasons why. But we, all of them culminated, all of them, we rejoice in the Lord because of the Lord, by the power of the Spirit of the Lord, and we'll see that broken down here shortly. But the only way to do that is by reading. And I think it's safe to say here, because it's, it's safe to say this, because it's plain in the text, that your joy is directly tied to your doctrine. Your joy is directly tied to your doctrine. Let me explain. If you have a faulty belief in the cross and, and what was accomplished, if you have a false understanding of God's sovereignty, how He is in control, His omnipotence or, or His all-powerfulness, His omniscience, how He knows all things at all times, how He holds your salvation, our salvation, and He grants that to you as a gift. If we don't have a biblical view on these daily, reminding ourselves daily of these things, of the character of God and His goodness, we will crumble in the dark times and, and you and I, we will act as unbelievers. But we focus on our doctrine or simply put right thinking toward the character of God. That is the only way that joy is possible. Like I said, we'll be in the basics today, absolutely. But we must be reminded of these things. In this famous book, the F book of Philippians, book on joy, right? Paul's famous book on joy. Paul has one of the greatest breakdowns that we find in all of Scripture of, of the hypostatic union of, of the person of Christ, the, the truly God and truly man, as Pastor Kevin reminded us of and, and broke down a few weeks ago. So it's no mistake that doctrine on Christ and the character of God and joy are related. And we know that it only starts with right thinking. But that is obviously step one. Right thinking, it leads to step two, which is right actions, step two. If we don't have step one, if we don't, sorry, if we don't have step two, or right actions, then our step one is off. Right doctrine, right thinking always leads to obedience. 
It always does. You can say it in this way. If you are in sin, if you're not rejoicing, simply put, what is it about the gospel that you're not understanding or not believing? What is it about the character of God that you have forgotten? And what is it about your flesh, my flesh, that we need reminded of? There are one thing or many of these things culminated together that we must be reminded of if we are not filled with joy. And obviously with doctrine at stake, Paul reminds us that we know Satan is always at work. We know that the world is always at work and our flesh is ready to twist it at every turn. And it is a constant battle, as you know as well as I do, with all three of those. We must always be guard. Verse 2, look at verse 2 with me. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Paul's writings as all Scripture is a safeguard to the believer. We must beware, this term beware, it is to see, discern. It is to see with the mind's eye, to look for, to guard yourself against. It's never separated from the idea of knowledge and of doctrine. The dogs, the evil workers, mutilation or false circumcision, these are things amongst which we must discern and and be aware of. These are references to the Judaizers that were plaguing the church, plaguing the truth. I'm going to take some liberty here and also add antinomianism or lawlessness or, or without law as legalism and antinomianism they are equal enemies of grace and mercy when you choose to add to the gospel and take or take away from the gospel they eliminate the need of the gospel altogether paul pulls no punches here he intentionally tries to offend and my, i might add that it's with the consent of the holy spirit Dogs. This was a term that Paul used, uh, but it was used by the Pharisees and the Jews. It was reserved for the worst of pagan worship and the Gentiles. Now Paul is making it clear, unmistakable, with all three references, that they, the Judaizers, are on the same level with those pagans. When you try to add to Christ or take away from His gospel the work, You are in the same boat as evil workers, the worst of dogs, satanic Baal worship. Roman, my son, he's he's sick and he, sorry, he's six. He's not sick. He's six and he's into uh, heroes and and villains right now. And and he asked me, he said, Daddy, who, who are the worst villains? And I said, I said, I was very blunt with him. I said, the ones who disguise themselves as your friends. And those are some of the ones that Paul may be writing about here. Again, I'll take some liberty. And we find, we find out in a few verses that Paul, Paul was of these people, of these Judaizers. As a matter of fact, he was the best of the best of the Jews, a Pharisee. And in, in these circles, and 
it's likely some of these may have been from his past potentially, or he knew of them potentially, or recently he made friends with them because they joined the church in which he plant, he helped plant. So I don't think that's much of a stretch. But nonetheless, these are the same type of people we learned about in Galatians. They are the same people who are plaguing the churches all around. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. These Jews, these Judaizers, have crept into the church. Maybe they began with genuine intent, or from the start they had less than stellar intent to to mislead or deceive. But God has blessed us with no one better to understand, no one better to address these situations. These people were friends in and with the church, the local church. Paul uses three distinct words here we've already gone over. Dogs, evil workers, and mutilation or false circumcision. Dogs, describing a foul disease being spread. Describing garbage being sought after. And sheep are often the target. And again, Paul is equating these Judaizers with the rankest of satanic practices. Same boat here. Evil workers referring to intent, whether from the start or along the way, their intent was evil, sugarcoating it. Or sorry, (laughs) he's not sugarcoating it. He calls them out with great clarity. Then we move to mutilation or false circumcision. We learned a great deal about this from Pastor Kevin and and Marshall uh, breaking down in Galatians, breaking it down in Galatians. This is pointing to their legalism trying to keep the law, trying to to base their standing uh, before a perfect and holy God and stand on their own righteousness, their own merit. Again, they completely misunderstood two basic huge pillars that we all must uh, understand or we will fall into the same boat. But two huge pillars, you have God in His holiness And then you have us in our sin and them in their sin. Circumcision was one of the main things that they were trying to push. From the beginning, it's always been about the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And the the exterior event is just an outpouring of of what has happened. It's a picture of what has happened to the heart. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskin of your heart. Jeremiah 9.26 For all the nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Deuteronomy 10.16 says, So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Deuteronomy 30.6 Moreover, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. It's always been a matter of the heart. Always, and it's not a complicated concept. It's a, it's a childlike faith. We understand that. But you and, and I, we, we often overcomplicate it. But just as Marshall helped us out last week, just as a soldier, just do. God was gracious enough to, to break it down for us. He didn't have to do that, but in His goodness, He certainly did. So now our job after we know that, our job is to be aware, discern, 
to those that would come and steal our joy. It is your gift. It belongs to you and it belongs to me. Now, we must guard it. And we do that by arming ourselves with the sword. We do that by knowing what right looks like. When our teachers and our preachers come up here, what does right look like? We must never blindly trust them or blindly follow. As they wouldn't want us to. But we verify with the word. The safeguard that God has given us. I'm so thankful for our leadership here. I've started messing with this. Now it's going to be an issue. But uh, I'm so thankful for our leadership here. Several years ago, this is kind of a silly example, but it is an example. But several years ago, Brittany and I, we were brand new here. And uh, it, was, it was a Saturday morning, and we were in a cesspool, a, a den of immorality that most people call Starbucks. <laughs> and... We were, st- we were in there, we were studying our scripture together, and obviously this was before kids when time was endless, right? But a man came up and he, he asked us where we attend church. And I told him, and, and he walked off. There was a little conversation there, but that was his main intent. And, and the, next, the next morning he walked through those very doors, and he came and he, he found me, and uh, we started talking again. And shortly he, he asked for... Where's, uh, you got one of your elders? Can I speak to him? Sure. So I walk and I, I found uh, the first one, or the first one I could find. I, I started the conversation and, and we were talking and, and the man uh, asked if we were interested in revivals. And shortening the elder's response, he saw right through it, but shortening the, the elder's response, he said, well, Sure. If you mean by revival, the preaching and teaching of God's word and the gathering of believers together, the fellowship and, uh, and God's grace in ordinary means and souls being saved, or in other words, what you're about to see here shortly, this morning. Obviously, that wasn't what the man had in mind. But praise God, and I'm so thankful for our discerning leadership in that. But Paul here, he's not addressing the elders alone he's addressing the whole church and that was obviously a a silly example and and that man was very blatant as to what he was after but but we the whole church must be discerning because oftentimes these false teachers they're not blatant they creep in sneaky sneaky like they creep in and they place chains on our joy laws and preferences real subtle that can't be fulfilled or or held. So we keep our joy with solid doctrine, discernment, right thinking, leading to obedience, right living, day to day. We can't take a day off. I don't think Paul ever did. I don't think Christ did. So why do we think that we get that luxury? You know, at the Federal Reserve and, and banks, do you know how they tell the real deal? how they train, how to tell of uh, counterfeit or, or a false bill. They hand them the real thing for hours, for days, simply sorting, feeling, smelling the real deal, real cash. Well, I'm just kidding. Obviously, now it's just numbers but on a screen. But point being, 
that the employees were so familiar with the real deal, the real thing, that if something came across and didn't pass the sniff test, it was plain to see. And that must be with us in, in our doctrine. Back to the text, verses 3 through 6. I'm not going to read just yet, but Paul is unpacking. He's showing us two different types of righteousness, which we'll get only to the first type today. And continuing to do so in verse 7 and, and following with great te- detail in the gospel. I'll probably end up repeating myself quite a bit next week. But I can say with Paul in verse 1 that it's no trouble to me and the scriptures are always a safeguard for all of us. But it starts, but he starts unpacking these, uh, these two types of diametrically opposed forms of righteousness found in verse 9. If you look at verse 9, I'm going to start in verse 8. So you should probably look there first. But Paul says, More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law. There's the one type of righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, the other type that's found in, in Christ. And through these two types of righteousness, Paul begins to break that down in verse 3. And he just builds for us and, and he goes on there. And a righteousness that is found in self and the law, it's, it's very clear there in the text. And then there is an alien righteousness found only in the personal work of, of Christ. Verse 3, look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision. This is the first type of righteousness. We are the circumcision. This is in direct opposition to the mutilation of the flesh to which they mutilate themselves. To mutilate yourself is to break the law in which these Judaizers were trying so hard to, to uphold and keep. But if your heart is not circumcised, then the act or the ceremony in the flesh has no benefit to righteousness. Circumcision was one of the biggest points, again, that the Judaizers were trying to say that the Gentiles, hey, if you're not circumcised, you're not in the kingdom. You're not, of, of Christ. You're not in Christ. You're not saved. Placing unbiblical standards on salvation, legalism, and addition to the cross. In regard to circumcision of the heart, Ezekiel 36, 26. This is circumcision of the heart. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's a work of God. He does the whole operation, the whole thing for you. Praise God, isn't that great? But our flesh hates that. It doesn't want that. It can't stand that free gift that that we get. That is why Paul reminds us that that we are the circumcision. We are the spiritually cleansed, not a mere outward work. And here's how the true circumcision is identified. There's three qualities that Paul lists in verse 3. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no 
confidence in the flesh. So the first one, the heading is, is circumcision, which is uh, uh, relating to our relationship in Christ, but it's also a, a form of discernment as well as they were the false circumcision. We are, so there's discernment. We are the circumcision. There's discernment there as the, as the heading, the title of us. But the first characteristic, other than discernment there, is worship in the Spirit of God. John 4, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23, Christ says, But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Psalm 29, verse 2, Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of His name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of His holiness. Matthew, this is when Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Matthew 4.10 Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And we all know Romans 12, verses 1, says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Those who worship in the Spirit of God, they will be marked by uh, turn with me to Galatians 5. Marshall's very familiar with this as he just taught on it. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. So this is also what will mark a believer. If you want to worship God, or sorry, worship in the Spirit of God, this is what you're going to do. It's not an option. Verse 19, he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So he doesn't even give us a conclusive list. Of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you. And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's, if you are to worship in the Spirit of God, you will put those things and things like those to death and you will put on, so putting off the old man and putting on verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's what you will be known by. And known for, actively putting that on. Now, if you need to know more on this and how the Spirit aids you, go back and listen to Marshall's teaching from November the 20th. It was excellent. And, and if you want to see that uh, acted out in our example, reference Pastor Kevin's Sunday School, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. They're excellent and how that plays out. But to worship in the Spirit of God is to walk in obedience, putting off the old man, and, and we know to put on the fruit. We are very familiar with these things at, at PBC. So let us not get calloused to these things, as I myself can often be. And I'm sure you're in, in the same. I'm, no, I'm not unique, remember? And now, Philippians 3.3, 3, moving on, 
Boast in Christ. Look at verse 3. Boast in Christ or glory in Christ. Most people, they want to boast in themselves. I'm sure that we're all familiar with this or we have done this. People that they want to be in the future, maybe. People they want to be right now. Or they boast in the past, things that they have accomplished or things that they've done that they're proud of. But only the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God will boast in Christ. Those are the only ones who can. Those are the only ones who will. Look at uh, a great example of this. Turn to Romans chapter 5. This is a kind of bigger section. We're doing, we're doing good on time, I think. We'll see. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God, and not only in this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that afflictions bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not put to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone will dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Does that sound like someone who's boasting? Absolutely. And we should use this as an example of, of our lives. Is this, is this how we talk to each other? Is this how we talk to others as well? Galatians 6.14 says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. Psalm 34, verse 2. says, My soul will make its boast in Yahweh. The humble will hear it and rejoice. So other believers will hear my boast in Yahweh and they're, they're going to rejoice in it with me. And most of you, you probably know this one by heart. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. He says, Thus says Yahweh, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who shows loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares Yahweh. And just below that in verse 25, Paul, imagine this, Paul and God share the same sentiment on circumcision. Who knew? 
Verse 25 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, that I will punish all those who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Imagine that. Only the ones worshiping in the Spirit of God would boast in a Roman cross and that work done before, during, and and after, namely the, the resurrection there. And when you are of the circumcision, worshiping in the Spirit of God, or simply walking in obedience to the Word, along with those Along with those things, it leads to boasting in Christ. After that, after those things, how could you put any confidence in the flesh? How could you? Uh, But Paul warns us in verse 3, he says, And put no confidence in the flesh. But I ask you, how could you? How could you? But how could you put confidence in the flesh? After a believer reads, turn to Colossians. I was helping uh, Brittany in preparation to the women's event. Uh, I was helping her think of uh, verses to read and uh, how to exalt, you know, uh, put Christ on high and and so forth. And um, the first thing I thought of was Colossians chapter 1. I'm sure you all know where I'm going, but she said, kind of like you probably just did, I should have known. I should have known where you were going. So read with me uh, or follow along as, as I read Colossians 1, 15 and following. This is describing Christ. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Is that not a comforting passage for, for us who would believe? So again, I, I ask you, how could you put any confidence in the flesh? But Paul warns us for a reason because we do it all the time. I do it all the time. We must heed to Paul's warning here because I know, you know, as John tells us that the flesh cannot do anything that pleases the Lord. We know that, but still we do it all the time. These are the truths as believers we must preach daily to ourselves. and We must encourage each other with them. If you have repented and believed, I'm a believer, therefore, therefore, I will do these things. I will worship God, worship Christ in spirit and in truth. I will boast in the person and work of Christ and I will put the old man myself in the grave today. No confidence. So in closing, that is the culmination, the purpose of the believer 
and how we spend our lives. And I'm so thankful that I have so many examples here on how to do that and what that looks like. And how we choose to spend our lives. We have a choice today, beloved. We put Christ on display and we rejoice in Him. We find joy in that He bore the cross for us, for His bride. We find joy and rejoice in that the same love that the Father has for the Son, He has for you. He has for me. That the God who made all things, sees all things, and, and knows all things, He who is good, that He loves justice, He hates evil, Still, He sent His Son to die in your place and then still loves you today. As a matter of fact, that's how we know that He loves us today is that we're able to look back at the cross. That God, find joy and rejoice exceedingly in that God today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, You, you alone are, are good. You alone are righteous and, and holy. And let us think on those things today as we seek transformed lives to look more like your Son, Christ. Look more like His sacrifice. Look more like His holiness and, and be more like His holiness. Let us think on these things as we go about our day today and encourage each other with them and encourage our own hearts. Thank you for your word and, and the encouragement from it. That you give us hope. And we praise you for that. Pray for our message to come. Pray for Marshall's heart and uh, that he would speak your word and with such clarity. And we praise you for him and, and, and uh, his message. And thank you so much for the life and the death and the resurrection of your son that paid for our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.